0: Jen Cooper, the keeper, here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 334. And for that number, let's look back to the 2011 Women's World Cup when Megan Rapino played 334 minutes, appearing in all six games for the U.S. in that tournament, starting two of them, and scoring one goal against Colombia in the group stage. She also had three assists in that World Cup, including the assist on Abby Wambach's amazing last gasp equalizer in extra time versus Brazil in the quarterfinal. I know that for a lot of WOSO fans, that moment marked the beginning of their WOSO fandom. So definitely wanted to give a shout out to that moment. All right. One long chat today with my friend Dan Laletta from Equalizer Soccer. Um, you know, kind of need to get caught up, get back in the groove, getting a weekly podcast done, thinking what I'm going to do for this year is alternate between uh, regular chats with Dan and, of course, interviews with People in the WOSO world that maybe you don't hear from as much. Um, as always, would love to have feedback on the format or anything else. So you can email me anytime, keeper at keepernotes.com. There is a gensplaner for this episode. I will review the format of this year's Challenge Cup as well as NWCL regular season. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone, and that's M I X X E D Zone. And at Keeper Notes. Also, you can follow Keeper Notes on Instagram. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper, after a long break off um, back to talk soccer. Of course, women's soccer with Dan LaLetta from Equalizer. Dan, have you been missing soccer? Are you ready for 2022?
1: Um, you want the truth about that? Yes, um, I want the truth about I, that. I, I can use a little more downtime, but <laughs> I'll be I'll be ready to go when the when the bell rings.
0: Well, and I and it was our longest uh cell season to date. Though so, I mean, the fact-based part of me always bristles when when people complain about that where it's like it was still basically the same number of games in the regular season, right? Of course, we had a challenge cup on top of it. But I feel like it was spread out over the right amount of time. It was like it was the kind of season we should have always had.
1: Yeah, there were less midweek games. The Challenge Cup, the preseason was longer, and you know, to be honest, it was mentally longer too because there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened during the season that made you kind of say, you know, we could use a break, and hopefully, we can get a 2022 season. Without that, but yeah, I mean, it was the what earliest preseason start and the latest final on the calendar, yeah. both both by a pretty considerable margin.
0: Yeah. So I should probably concede on the mental issue that, like, yes, it was brutally exhausting for everyone involved. Um, but let's look ahead to 2022. I love that uh, you, you ran in on Equalizer Soccer. You, you tend to do this at the end of each year as like your, you know your your best eleven or your eleven wish list for the next NWSL season. And I know um, a lot of fans, especially those who have been following the league for so long, um, you know, we've, we've seen so many changes. We've been through the ups and downs, hoping for this, hoping for that, but I I feel like we're on a cusp, the cusp of some really big changes um, a lot because of 2021, but also as we're going into a season with two new teams, we'll be up, you know, more than 10 teams in American women's pro soccer for the first time ever.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope we're headed for a better season. You know, I know we're not on here to talk about this issue today, but I'm not convinced that there's been enough learning around the league about some of the things that did happen in 2021 that convinced me that they're not uh, not necessarily going to happen again, but that they're ripe to happen again but yeah there's a lot there there is positive momentum in the league and you know the number one item on the list is about um you know the new teams coming in in southern california because these are by far we said this last year about louisville but this these two blow louisville out of the water partly because they had a lot easier pathway to roster building so they're going to be a lot better i think as teams on the field than louisville was but these are teams that have really had a long runway. Now, yeah, there are concerns about both teams. And we're talking, of course, about Angel City and the San Diego Wave. But what I kind of find intriguing is how different the teams have gone about building their brands and building their rosters. You know, Angel City is this big, you know, we're going to make a difference in the world sort of team and the wave are kind of like, yeah, we're hiring Jill Ellis and she's going to do things that are going to make you scratch your head. But the ultimate goal here is to win soccer games. And that's not to say that they're not going to try to, you know, be, you know, agents for change, as we like to say these days, Or that Angel City aren't trying to win soccer games. It's just very interesting the way they both presented themselves. And, you know, they're, completely fresh markets in the sense that I don't think there's many people living in either city that easily got to any NWSL games in the past or so what's been what since the LA Soul I guess um well, I guess so there was the, uh, the Gold Pride in 2010 it was the last team in California sold the year before that in LA and you know we remember that the last WUSA game was played in San Diego back when they had the San Diego spirit. So, yeah, right. I hope those two teams can come in and, you know, get fresh starts and really kind of spur on the league. And right off the bat, you know, Angel City already announced that they've sold 13,000-plus season tickets. So maybe we actually get a real attendance battle between Angel City and the Thorns. You know, the Thorns weren't too pleased um, when the uh, Pride broke their single-game record. I right. believe you and I were at that game. Right, and, and you know, and then they couldn't break it back because it was more than they had capacity for. They added on to the stadium, and then they did break the record for a game. Maybe we can actually get some fun things like that. That'll be interesting. Um, and I do think both teams will be at least competitive, if not better than competitive. So, yeah, that gives me a little bit of hope for 2022. Some things I don't like already, of course, but um, yeah, I, I really like the new teams. Coming in, I think it'll give the league a nice shot in the arm.
0: And they are so very different in their approaches. I mean, what we saw in the expansion draft, what we saw in the college draft, also how they approach the expansion draft, right? Like h- how much they each team did trades with existing clubs, um, how they've done their, their hiring, announces, websites. Like I, I feel like obviously L.A. had a bit of a head start because – you know, originally San Diego was going to be Sacramento. Um, I, I feel like LA could be getting a little too near the, hey, don't forget to play soccer kind of Totally issue. agree. Now, they're, yeah. now,
1: to that end, they've got some good players that they brought in there. So it's not like they're completely ignoring that, but you're you're absolutely right. You know, you can talk all you want about making changes and, you know, promoting different groups of people through your soccer team. But it's very nice and all smiles when you don't have a record. But if you lo- when you start to lose a few games, then things start to change. And that's why we all like the draft so much, because everybody's in a good mood at the draft, because everybody thinks that they're preparing for things that are going to be great. But, you know, you go to a game in July and a team takes a tough loss, and it's their fourth in a row, and that coach might not be so friendly on that particular night, and that's completely understandable. <laughs> so that's why we like the draft. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the soccer starts at Angel City. I agree with that entirely. But they have brought in good players.
0: Well, and to announce 13,000 season tickets sold you know, this far in advance, that's the kind of thing that gives me really solid hope you know not just like oh we had this big party or we've sold all this merch it's like no people actually want to show up right um you know you reference that orlando opener i remember that game so well and thinking like wow orlando is going to blow portland out of the water and then just didn't right so clearly they had put all their eggs in the basket of we have to have a huge first game where i like that Angel City is clearly looking long run of hey we we got to have people here week in week out and and season ticket you know that that's a difference and think about it how often have we heard a new club announce season ticket numbers how how often have we had existing clubs announce season ticket club. numbers it's oh, yeah, not never. it's yeah it's it's not numbers um that that usually come out right and what, what's funny to me is also just some of the the assumptions that we hear during the year. Like uh, people assume that Thorns sell out every game. You know, well, they, let's obviously they think, they pre, pre- COVID. They don't. They've only had six, seven sellouts in their entire history. It's hard to sell out a stadium. That being said, they're the first club in the world to average more than 20,000 attendance right. per and, game. But, you know, it's like, but they're not doing that in their sleep. They work really hard. To, you know, to sell those games, to to Absolutely. make sure.
1: And if you remember back when they first launched, there was some talk. I don't know if this was officially announced by the team, but there was some talk that they would split their games between Providence Park and Merlot Field, where the Ooh. University of Portland plays. And then very quickly, it became apparent they couldn't do that because they were going to sell way too many tickets to play in Merlot, which I think is great. Now, that's like some people are like, well, why doesn't Kansas City have a double header with Sporting Kansas City? Well, Sporting Kansas City sells too many tickets to have a double header with right. any right. Kansas City team, you, you know, because they essentially sell out or come within a few hundred of selling out every single game. So you can't do that. So, yeah, you know, they actually before they even played a game, they sort of. You know, outsized themselves out of their alternate venue. That's a long time ago, obviously. And weren't you standing with me when the owner of the Pride on that first day? We asked him where he thought attendance would settle in, and he gave a number like eleven or twelve thousand, and they never even came close to that. So he kind of almost set himself up for to make it look even worse than it was.
0: Yeah, I think they ended maybe like six, seven thousand average. no, I think that's a good point about the double headers. I mean, that's something that, you know, Houston uh, hasn't really been able to do as well other than when they have done doubleheaders, it's when the Dynamo have had an Open Cup game, which is a game that's not in the season ticket holder package. Right. Um, you know, so you can do both. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not easy to do. Um, but again, I'm just, I'm, I'm so psyched to hear a solid number like that and it and it sets the bar for for everybody just like hey this is doable this is totally doable you know it Um, it doesn't happen by itself it doesn't happen just because you have world cup stars on your team it doesn't happen overnight Uh, but it happens because you dedicated a lot of marketing and staff to it
1: and it gives you another venue where someone can put a game on and yeah they have to find it on paramount plus or twitch or wherever it is and wherever they are but you put the game on and you are hearing a sporting event you're not you don't have to be sold by the announcers or by some spectacular goal because you're actually you know I've been to games where you can actually hear the players talking to each other on the field like that's kind of cool but that's not the atmosphere that you want when you're at a game so if they you know if they get you know, Even if it's just 13,000 and they're all making a lot of noise and you put on an Angel City game, people are going to keep that on because it's going to feel like something they should be watching because I think that's the difference between games in Portland and games everywhere else it just feels more appropriate to be watching it because it feels like a sporting event because it is a sporting event. Now that the other ones aren't, but they're not necess- they don't necessarily have sporting event atmosphere.
0: Well that makes me something think of something that could be on your your 11 hopes for 2022 list is more local broadcasts right because and I'm and I'm talking local TV broadcasts because that's the kind of thing that bars can just leave on right they can find a TV channel they don't have to hook into you know they don't have to subscribe to anything or log into anything um You know, I'd I'd love to see more teams getting into taking advantage of whatever they can get from the league, from CBS, from Paramount in terms of rights to home games. You know, for local broadcasts and have that on local TV. That also means it's something that can be rerun. Um, I remember twenty fifteen, the Dash broadcast back when we were doing them locally, and we were partnered with a local channel. So not only we were we on YouTube you know, but we were also on local TV and they would rerun those games. So I remember so clearly the week after, um, the 2015 world cup final, it was also, it it was the same week as the all-star game week for baseball. And this was a channel that mostly showed baseball. So they just needed filler and they used all the dash games so far that season and just ran them over and over. Right. And, it was funny. Like I ran into people going, Oh, I saw you on TV. I'm like, when did you see me on TV? But, and I'm, you know, like on the broadcast, we're only facing the camera, maybe five minutes of the entire show. But that tells me that it's like, Hey, places that have sports channels on TV, just leave them on and stuff runs and people see it. And I think that's something that, you know, LA might have the resources, right. To, to push forward a way that some other clubs might not.
1: Right, and I think there are two steps to that, because you and me have both done games where Chicago, I think, and Washington, maybe Portland have picked up some feeds, and it's just a direct pickup of the you know, world feed, for lack of a better word, that we do for Paramount Plus and Twitch, and that's great to get those games on TV. And like you said, they can be rerun if they have the rights to do so. But the next step in that would be to actually get not only – Local broadcast, but maybe local broadcast talents, because that allows those people calling the game to identify with the fans through the teams that they're very familiar with. Not that we can't do that on the Paramount Plus broadcast, but it's quite generic. And, you know, without going into too much detail, you know, we're not full time. Well, so you, you want to make home, that connection.
0: You want a home broadcast. I mean, w- I think sports fans in this country are used to. Hey, if I'm watching the Astros at home, I'm I'm hearing the Astros. You know? Right. And I'm
1: thinking I'm, about the yeah. I'm thinking about the NFL, which doesn't have home broadcasts, but they mm-hmm. have very very solid and very very specific people that usually do the game. Like you don't get you know, it's not a random broadcast team. You get someone that is you know that you're familiar with if you watch a lot of NFL, and that. You know that those you know that those people are pretty familiar with your team. They also have local radio, which NWSL does not have. They did a little bit of that, but that was just taking feeds, I believe. Right? Yeah. TV broadcasts, which is yeah, a little bit awkward for me um, because it's. You know, TV and radio broadcast is totally different. But, yeah, that's a two-step process, I think, because it would be great to get some local people involved. And that has so many other benefits. And you probably know this because you did it for the Dash, and you just said, you know, people were saying they saw you on TV. But when you're actually doing it and you're in market, then that allows you to promote that you're on without even really doing it sometimes. And that's, Right. Uh, you know, that that's a big difference. And, yeah, maybe Angel City. I mean, there's an awful lot of sports teams out there, but... Um, it would be really, really nice to see some of that start to take hold
0: well, and I also want to talk about uh, mostly because i 've been constantly updating rosters the last few weeks. Um, you know one of the things in your your eleven hopes was make rosters and roster statuses more transparent um oh, and
1: it would be so easy wouldn't it
0: <laughs> i know like i like like your first line is quick go find me the rosters for all 12 NWSL teams <laughs> other than my google sheets that i do share with people publicly on keepernotes.com i don't know where you could find them um because the NWSL website it's not always current um if you go to a club's page um it'll show... is, it,
1: is it ever current
0: I would think at the beginning of the season, it would be current. I hope. Um, I'm
1: current now, I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like, it doesn't always reflect trades promptly, but more importantly, throughout the season, it ends up, like, it'll show you anybody who played minutes for a team that year, but it doesn't necessarily show you who is currently rostered with the team. And also, in terms of roster status, who is eligible to play you know, for an upcoming game. Um, You know, we do have the injury reports that come out and are are shared publicly, but it seems like they come out pretty late and there's still people that aren't on them when they need to be. Like, I, I feel like it needs to be a player availability status report, not an injury report, right? So you've got your, here's all your disciplinary suspensions. Here's your international absences. Here's your season ending injuries. Like the clubs aren't even listing their season ending injury players that way. Sometimes it'll, it'll just say like parentheses ankle. It's like, but we've been told that they're out for the season, but like, but that should be clear. Right. Because if someone is season ending injury, that means it opens up a new roster spot. Like there's all these rules and you know, like, Hey, let's, let's make it clear who's eligible to be called, you know, for this game. Who's not. And then sorry, one more thing. And then the, um, uh, the national team replacement players. It was so confusing this year. It's like, are they active or are they not?
1: Absolutely. And the injury report is another item on my list, which is that we got to figure out what the injury report is and make all the clubs adhere to it in the same way. And it kind of got hit home at the final because Mallory Pugh and who is the other player in the COVID protocols who didn't play in the Kayla Sharples, maybe. Didn't play in the semifinal, and they were both not at open training on Friday. Game was Saturday, I guess. Friday they weren't at, maybe they were at training Friday, but they had just gotten into town. They hadn't practiced the rest of the week, and they weren't on the injury report. And so, like on one hand, like okay, that's okay because you know they're not on the injury report, so they're available. Fine, so Pew started, so that looks all normal, but. You know, my understanding is that the injury report, kind of like you said, is about player availability. So if a player was limited during the week, they should be on the injury report. Now, again, you know, this goes into much broader topics, which is that there are no full time reporters at these practices. Some teams won't allow reporters into practice, which is madness to me. But even if they did, there's, you know, there's nobody to hold the teams accountable to that. So I'm not exactly sure how you. Pull this off, but I want what the Red Stars are sending me about Mallory Pugh to be the same thing that the Thorns are sending me about Lindsey Horan and that the Pride are sending me about Alex Morgan, who I know is not on the Pride anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. But you no, know, I want it to be the same across the board. I want to look at the injury report and know what I'm seeing. And I get it, coaches are going to fudge stuff every now and again, but you know, if we're, why have it if you're not going to really even know? what you're looking at or have to figure out, well, you know, this is the way the red stars did it. And you know, look, new red stars coaching regime coming in, we assume they'll hire an actual coach, but you know, what are what are they going to do? Cause we got used to Rory Dames and now he did it, but now there'll be somebody else there. So that to me is a, uh, is a pretty problematic thing. Cause the, you know, the entry report drives conversation and they should use it as such.
0: Or, or think about like um, even follow up. On injuries, you know, we all saw in the semifinal, Kaylia Watt goes down, has to leave the game. We never got an update. Nope, nothing. Right? Like, so the injury report right before the final says, Kaylia Watt, parentheses, right knee. It's like, is it short-term? Is it long-term? Do they not know yet? It's like, like, I'm sorry, that was a very public event. (laughs) We all saw it. You know, it's like, sure. You know, a player has a right to some health privacy, right? But it's like that was a public event. You know, the status should be announced at least in the, um, you know, we're waiting on further testing. It doesn't look like she's going to play or we're waiting on further testing. We'll have more information next week. It's just like they said nothing. It's on the injury report the day before. There's been absolutely nothing since.
1: And at some point you need to – Decide what you want to be and what are some of the things that you maybe need to sacrifice in order to be that. I I think I told you this at one point, you know, like if you want to be a meteorologist and be on television doing weather, that's great. It's a very noble thing to do. But guess what? You're not going to be home shuffling out your driveway when it snows because you're probably going to be home and be on television. Do you have a right to be home shoveling out your driveway? Yeah, but you probably need to be in a different <laughs> line of work. So you got to, you know, you, okay, you can. So you can talk privacy all you want, and that's yeah. legitimate according to the law. But right. you got to, you know, they're doing this CBA, so we've got to think. And I don't, you know, I'm sure this is not a high level issue; might not be an issue at all. But hey, we need to be transparent. We need to give our fans enough information here about. You know what's going on. Like, did we need to know that Crystal Dunn and Casey Kruger were pregnant before they wanted us to know? Of course not. Of course but not. But if a player tears their ACL, I think that's a pretty basic thing that can and should be announced by the team. Some teams have done it. Some teams haven't. Sometimes it seems like it's player for player. But yeah, you because when you you know when you act like a mystery, then people are going to treat you like a mystery, and that's going to drive people. Away from your game, instead of driving people toward your game.
0: Yeah, it's just you know, to to me, the biggest sign of respect for women's soccer is when it's treated like any other professional sport, which means you know these kind of reports come out promptly. They're consistent. Uh, you know, players make themselves available for um, for media. Um, you know that kind of, and, and that there's healthy, critical discussion of players, referees, etc. Et, et um, I, I get a little frustrated every now and then when someone will tweet at me. You know, it, it's like, oh, somebody on the broadcast said something critical. Jen, can't you do something about that? I'm like, I've got no issue with any broadcaster saying something critical, especially if it's an opinion.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: Um, you know it, it it's like that to me is a sign of respect. We don't need any broadcasters you know to be on there being cheerleaders. It's like no, this is actual sport this is this is not charity, this is not youth soccer this I mean by youth soccer I mean like u six soccer yep, exactly. you know it's it, it's a professional sport, and i you and I were talking with Julie Foey about this a couple of years ago. And she, and she was stunned when we said that, you know, sometimes people get criticism for critiquing games, right, or critiquing a player's performance. And she's like, are you kidding? She goes, we used to dream of being critiqued.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, no question about it. And you know, that yeah, doesn't mean, by the way, that some of the things that, quote unquote, other professional sports do that women's soccer can't come along and find a better way to do them. But you still have to look at what's been successful and say, you know, we need to at least start with the baseline of what has made those other groups successful.
0: Well, and, you know, and there seems to be this this hole in coverage um, for women's soccer. And it's funny, it's not the hole that used to be there, because I feel like just in the last couple of years, there have been so many more stable, um, professional, dedicated Outlets covering women's soccer, you know namely um the athletic and just women's sports um yep. also the the gist just, just just like doing real stuff so we we can't really argue anymore that women's soccer is not getting coverage what the gap that's missing the 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 gap that's out there is critical game analysis outside of the game itself, right like highlight shows wrap up shows. You know that that, that kind of like, hey, let's break down what happened, or this was good. You know, this worked. This didn't. This player didn't do well. This player had this great play, right? Like, so much of it, uh, unfortunately, seems to be much more about the issues, right? And and of course, you and I are talking some about some of those now, but it, it's like I just see more and more coverage of the issues, and, and and I can't wait for us to get to the point where we've got more people that are covering. What actually happened in right. games. There's, Analyzing there's what happened in games, you know, the good and the bad.
1: Right. There's more coverage, but the more coverage there is, it seems like there's more coverage covering, like, why isn't women's soccer what it should be or what it could be, and looking for these little nuggets like, you know, tenants at the final or, you know, allocation money being spent or what have you. And like you said, not actually. Yeah. Just breaking down the games, like, hey, why did the Red Stars lose the final? Like they were up one nothing at halftime. What were the reasons that they were unable to hold on to that lead? Or you know, why? You know, what did the Spirit do differently in the second half and extra time that allowed them to score those goals? Right. I mean, you know, Tierna Davidson, great example, right? Tierna Davidson, terrific center back. I think we all agree. Great future with in the pros and the national team. Tuna Davidson's 2021, basically she gave away the penalty kick that got the U.S. beaten by Canada in the Olympics, in the semis, and then she gave away the penalty that allowed the Spirit to tie the game on the Red Stars in the NWSL Championship. Like, that's kind of a big deal, right? How would we handle that?
0: And that's not even opinion, Dan. That's actually fact.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And you know know what? Maybe certainly in the NWSL Championship – Absolutely. The Spirit with a better team probably would have found a way to find that equalizer anyway. You know, the the Olympics, we don't have to get into it, but, you know, it's not an opinion. It's a fact. But can you can you imagine if that was, you know, Lionel Messi? I know he doesn't play center back, but can you imagine if it was somebody (laughs) of that stature that gave away a final like the Champions League final and an Olympic semifinal or the Euros or the World Cup? Semi-final PK. It would be a really, really big deal. But guess what? There was no mix zone for the final, so nobody even had an opportunity to talk to Tierna Davidson about it. The Red Stars organization has literally been dark in terms of the media since the day after that when their coach mysteriously resigned at midnight. So that's not anything that's ever going to be discussed. And I guarantee you when they, you know, when, this, you know, the first media availability with Tuna Davidson, that's not asked about.
0: Right. Right. Because it's been so long by the, by the time there's media, media availability again.
1: Right? And there's it's also, like, the, and there's still, there is that feeling, like you said, that like this is women's soccer, so let's not worry about some of the things that actually go on that impact the results on the field. And, you know, I mean, look, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have with a player, no doubt about it. it. I don't think it defines her.
0: I mean, you and I have been, have been arguing this internally for years, but we've also seen that, you know, whenever these things are actually covered that the fans really respond to it. It's like, yeah, I was wondering about that. Or, you know, whenever there has been really great, media access like there was uh, at the beginning of this final right um you know or like the media day before the 2016 final or you know th- that kind of stuff that getting real meat from the players being able to talk to the players and you know for those of us that have been covering the league a while and asking them more nuanced questions so that they're not getting the how does it feel to win the final or how did it feel to win the world cup questions? But the, Hey, in the game against Spain, this happened. How did you respond? Yep. And you know, yep, like, and, you, and know, you see, you see how the players change where, where they're like, it's like their body language says, wow, that's a real question.
1: <laughs> yep. Even, and sometimes it happens, even if it's not a positive question and I'll tell you all this about media day, the thing about media days, you can go around and it's one team at a time and you can pretty much go around and talk to whoever you want for a half hour, an hour, or whatever it is. And at the 2019 final, I had a conversation with a player. I won't say who it was. It was about a three minute conversation. And for about the last two minutes and 45 seconds, all I wanted to do was get out of there because it was the most uncomfortable conversation I've possibly ever had with a player who clearly just wasn't interested in engaging with me in that particular moment, or maybe ever. And that's fine. But guess what? I got to go around the room and talk to a lot of other people. I wound up having some very good conversations, but you know, the way it goes now, if there's one player coming out in a press conference or if you have to do some kind of like formal zoom request, that doesn't go well, we don't have any other recourse and that, you know, that causes issues. And I, I would be curious and I don't do this myself and I probably should. I'd be curious to go look at the coverage of the day leading into the final this year and coming out of the final because going into the final We had access to every player on both teams, other than the Pew and Sharples, who weren't there because of the, you know, they hadn't gotten into town yet, which is another reason they should have been on the injury report. After the final, we basically got coach and I think two players from both teams, and that was it. There was literally no mix zone, there was zero opportunity. So, you know what? You're going to read equalizer you're going to read the athletic you're going to read whatever other sites keeper notes i think did some stuff for that week you're going to get all the same quotes for the most part and people are going to say why yeah. why are these reporters so lazy why are they only <laughs> why are they all using the same recycled quotes well you know what there's wasn't necessarily an opportunity to get other quotes and again i know the last thing anybody wants to hear is reporters whining but and i also know there were covid issues so you know it's hard to really be too critical of some of the except, policies that were in place for this year, but it could have been Except since COVID, have been
0: the, the way that um, more stuff has been done via Zoom you know, and other virtual ways, like in some ways that's been better, right? That reporters who are unable to travel to away games or all the playoff games can actually be part of a press conference, which wasn't an option before. Um, you know, the, the Dash have told me that um once they started the zoom you know away press conferences they saw a notable uptick in coverage and social media response for away games
1: 100% which
0: they which they had they had never done before you know so, so it, it's like you know i feel like it it's a great thing that we have it it shouldn't go away having having the the virtual opportunity, but but i hope we take full advantage of it that hey, yeah, maybe the player can't be there in person, but there's no reason that there can't be accessibility.
1: Absolutely. And the way the Thorns did it when they introduced Rianne Wilkinson as their head coach was that they had people on site in the press room at Providence Park, and they got priority, and then they opened it up for questions from the Zoom. But you're totally right, because you can be sitting at home watching a game, not even... Actively doing anything on it, and something happens, and you say, "Yeah, maybe I'll hop on the post-game Zoom and ask Laura Harvey about, you know, the formation change." And you can do it, and you can either write something, or tweet something, or keep it for a future piece. So there's no question about it. But there needs to be access to all of the players after these games, and that's not going to happen via Zoom. That shouldn't be happening for the reporters who are there. And again, COVID, and you know, we're trending the wrong way with that. So who knows what happens in 2022, but you know, eventually we'll get back to some sort of state, but we need to be able to have reporters and players be much more interactive than they're allowed to be right now.
0: Well, and speaking of players, um, wow, we've had so many players move around in the last, what, six weeks, because obviously we had the trades before the expansion draft. Then we had the expansion draft itself, college draft with a few more trades, and a little bit more movement after Christmas. And then, boom, this week you can tell we're we're fully in the new year. Things are back in business. Boom, transactions. Um, so before we talk about the transactions, let's talk about your your wish for a real live transaction page for the website.
1: Yeah, this is, again, something that's pretty simple or should be. Pretty simple, which is that, so, you know, let's talk about, like, let's, we talked about Angel City and San Diego, right, and that they've actually added some good players. We didn't mention the players. So you're listening to the Mix Zone podcast, and you want to find out, like, who's on Angel City, who's on San Diego. Now, I admit I don't know if either of the team websites has a good listing for that. To be honest with you, other than your Google Sheets, I think the best resource – might be Wikipedia. I don't know if those are up. How you know diligently those are updated? It might not be the same team for team, but you, you should be able to go to a transaction page and sort it by team, by date, or just do some sort of a search for Angel City and figure out. Oh right, that's how Angel City got Julie Ertz on the roster, or that's how Alex Morgan wound up in San Diego, or that's what San Diego gave up. For Alex Morgan, and to not have that, it only, like it takes the, it takes this critical information, and it kind of just sends it into the abyss. So the only way to figure it out is to ask you or me, or mine Twitter. And you want to keep people engaged on your site, you know, you get more. The more you, know, you have shop.com right, which we do the reads for incessantly right. on, the, on the broadcast. Well, guess what? If you've got a transaction page, that's keeping more people on the site that's giving more people the opportunity to say, oh, look, there's a shop uh, link up here on top. Or it's, maybe, something,
0: it's something else that can be sponsored, just like, you know, Corner Kicks get sponsored and the draft was sponsored. It's like absolutely. transaction tracker by whomever.
1: Absolutely. And to not have that, in, like, it just doesn't make any sense for me to not be able to get this information. And some of the information that's out there about other sports is not necessarily... Um, you know, driven by the leagues, but I think it's driven by information that the leagues have provided, right? Like, you you want to tell me who was the ninth pick in the 1982 NFL draft? There's a lot of ways you can go get that information that people are aware of. Tell me who was the ninth pick in the 2014 draft. We were talking about a league site that doesn't even acknowledge that 2014 existed (laughs) for their league. And, you know, we we can't use the excuse that, oh, well, they're just starting, because that was 2017 when they redid the site so yeah transactions would be huge people love to know about how did the player get from here to there and sometimes you want to go you want to backtrack right and do it because like the yuki nagasato trade right back to chicago very easy to say oh yuki nagasato was already in chicago what did the red stars get when they traded her to louisville find it but you can't find it so you got to Search it in other ways, and that takes people away from the league site, and it just makes it just makes it harder to be a fan. You know, you're choosing. I say this all the time. You're choosing between two different leagues to follow. Unless you have a complete and total devotion to a player or a team or the sport, you're going to follow the league that has the best and easiest, most successful information.
0: And and I think you know, it really is all about the fans. They they want information, right? I don't think you know, a fan is necessarily going to formulate the thought, I need a transaction tracker. What they're thinking is, hey, I follow the thorns off and on. When did Sonnet leave the thorns? Yep. That should be something you can Google, and it should take you to the league website first.
1: And how right? about every game? And I think I included this a year or two ago. How about every game, as the players are coming out or at some designated point, the PA announcer comes on and says, here are the inactives for tonight's game. And then you can yeah. hear right off the back, so you're not sitting there saying, how come Alex Morgan's not playing? I thought Alex Morgan was on right. right. you know, inactive tonight. Alex Morgan, you don't have to give a reason. You don't have to give anything. But you get an announcement that those players are inactive for that game. So you're at least aware that they're not going to be there. And it just, you know, there's less confusing. I mean, you know, game day programs are probably too much to ask for at this point, budgetary, you know, budget-wise. But the PA announcer announcing the inactives, you know i don't get it cuz there is this belief right like don't talk about the people who aren't there but the people who aren't there are sometimes just as important as the people who are there and it is okay to mention that yeah alex morgan's hurt not in this game tonight like that's okay
0: yeah and and also like the, the context of hey she's you know they expect she'll be back next week or she just had surgery or this is her game out because of yellow card suspension or you know like like context.
1: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, so let's talk about some of those transactions. Um, you know, some are, are just the, hey, so-and-so got re-signed or signed or contract extended. Some are not surprises that, you know, Dash finally got to announce uh, Maria Sanchez coming over uh, from Tigres, uh on a permanent transfer. A big one, obviously, yesterday, North Carolina trading Lynn Williams to to uh, Kansas, Kansas City. City. It's it's funny when I think about the last time we talked for the podcast and you and I were both predicting that um, North Carolina would protect Sam Mewis and then Lynn Williams would go to San Diego. Right. And no, Lynn Williams and Sam Mewis are both now at Kansas <laughs> City via trade.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it. it's unfortunate to see because it, it seems like Williams requested to be moved out of North Carolina, and it's not a big surprise. I mean, they did get, um, you know, Abby Ursag. I don't know if you saw it, on Twitter said something to the effect of the lopsided trade surprised the players as much as they do anybody else. But for the record, I will not be leaving North Carolina. So, <laughs> just, you know, that's a, clear. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a good sign. But, you know, I mean, Mewis – and Williams, and I get that one of them probably had to go, but you can make a case now. I don't even think it's a case. I think Sam Mewis, the best Sam Mewis has to offer, makes her no worse than the second or third best midfielder in the NWSL. And if Lynn Williams can ever, you know, become more clinical, finish a higher percentage of her chances, and all those are famous last words when it comes to her, but on any given week, she can be the most dominant player on the field in a game, and this is a team that won what three games last season, maybe four. Um, I think they're on the. I think they've maybe made a pretty significant turnaround here. It's hard to judge the trade because allocation money will forever be just kind of floating out there, and it won't, you know, won't be hard even retroactively to go back and know how they spent it. But they also got a couple of draft picks out of it, and as long as Hugh Williams is running the soccer operation there. Uh, down draft picks, and they got a second and fourth. Down draft picks can be very valuable for a team like that. So especially a, a
0: team that's in a, a soccer hotbed that probably has a lot of local players coming into the draft where those those lower picks could tend to pay off more.
1: Absolutely. And and it's a lot easier now to get people to stick around um because of the you know, with housing developments and whatnot around the league. It's a l I think it's gonna be a little bit easier to keep people maybe in town who are not firmly on your roster. But, you know, back to the courage, you know, they also lost Jess McDonald. I'm not sure what the reasoning was behind her being traded. Um, And, you know, the one player they brought back in, Jaylene Daniels, nobody's happy about, even though she's probably the best outside back that I think has ever played. In the NWSL. When I say that, by the way, because I took some criticism from my tweet about that, I don't know that she's the best outside back to ever play in the NWSL. I think she's had the best NWSL career of any outside back.
0: Well, and I'd, I'd definitely say best left outside back.
1: Oh, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that brings me to, I, I know you were considering putting a 12th a thing on your 11th your 11 wishes for 2022. Somewhat related to Ms. Hinkle Daniels.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we know about Jaylene Daniels Hinkle and the reasons that she begged out of being on the national team back in 2017, I think it was. Yeah. And we know, and I know that most people around the NWSL do not agree with or condone. Some of Jaylene Daniels' uh, life philosophies, and truth be told, I'm one of them. I don't condone them. I think they're kind of absurd, to be honest with you, but I don't think that it should prevent her from playing in the league. I don't think it, pre- it should prevent her from making a living. I have not seen anything, you know, and this is just specific to her. I haven't seen anything that Jaylene Daniels has said or done that is incendiary. Now, you might disagree with that if you are, you know, if you're someone that. You know, she, you think she's looking down upon, but the point of the matter is, you know, we're, it's a league that is supposedly built on inclusion and tolerance. And I think, you know, for better or for worse, that needs to include uh, tolerance and inclusion for opinions that don't agree with yours. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, I mean, are we going to go down to having draft picks, you know, like Sidney Nicello list their Twitter likes or, you know, or, you know, upload their, uh, you know their political affiliation card to their draft application, you know, we just we, we need to just maybe chill a little bit on this stuff and and you know, realize that it's uh, you know, I know that it's always, it's always going to be more than just a game, but it, you know, it is a soccer league, so that should be the kind of the primary focus in my opinion. I know that won't be a completely popular one, but that's my opinion on the matter.
0: Well, I I feel like sometimes we forget that there are wildly different people in this league, and by in this league, I mean the players um, in terms of backgrounds, religious, political beliefs, uh, you know, experiences, nationalities, ethnicities. Um, they're not all of the same mind, as we know from, uh, you know, we know that not everybody's vaxxed, Right. Um, or like how we've seen national team games post game. I remember so clearly in Parc de Prince in the, the quarterfinal in France, like seeing half the players in a prayer circle after and half not. Yeah. But one of the, one of the things that really impressed me about that is it neither group seemed bugged by what the other group was doing or not doing. Right. Uh-huh. That it's just welcoming. It's like, hey, you know, they feel the need to do that. I don't. It's okay. Right. And that's the kind of. Um, inclusion, acceptance, tolerance that I'd really like to see. Obviously, North Carolina has had gay players on the team. Obviously, Hinkle and those players were able to get along in some form or fashion, you know, to win three Shields and two NWL titles, right? Um, and that's even, you know, after Western New York Flash. So it's like, if the team can self, if, if the players themselves can handle it, I feel like the the fan should be able to to handle it. Um, my only caveat is as long as a player with those kind of beliefs is never in a position to control somebody else's rights, right? Like that they're the team rep, you know, for the players' association, or they have a board member board position the player association, um, you know, that they can't deny somebody else's. Right. You know, then it's like, anyway, right. You know, then it's like, yeah, like, I, I remember first learning, you know, 2017 about some of the, the posts that Hinkle had put out in 2015. And I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me? But at the same time, it's like, you know, she's entitled to those beliefs, as long as, you know, she's not denying anybody else. Uh, There's it it reminds me of that um, what city clerk or county clerk several years ago who was trying to deny um, gay marriage permits after, you know, gay marriage went legal because it was her it was it was her personal beliefs. And, you know, it's like, no, honey, uh, (laughs) when you became that county clerk or whatever the role is, you took an oath that you kind of have to enforce the law, not enforce your beliefs. But exactly. um, yeah but I just feel like we kind of uh we're not being very inclusive or tolerant when well, we're saying, if, when 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 we're saying you could, we need to be inclusive but only if you if you think a certain way
1: well, I think if you put any ten people in a room with a common interest or passion or whatever that's great, but I guarantee you that if you get as high as ten, there are going to be people in that room who differ greatly uncertain elements of how they conduct themselves and how they live their lives and what their belief system is and that's okay again as long as they don't clash and
0: yeah well um, as long as they they find a way to work together that that to me i think is one of the the most impressive parts of the 2019 women's world cup team um, that they seemed like such a disparate group but they had worked so hard on you know, all that really matters is that we act as a team and and win this tournament, right? And the way they celebrated every time, you know, they scored or won, you could tell, like, it didn't matter that, yeah, they are different lifestyles, different beliefs, different backgrounds, but they came together as a team. And isn't that the whole point of a team?
1: Yeah, we go back to the New York Knicks in New York in the early seventies and then they used to call them twelve men, twelve cabs because they said everybody went their own separate way in their own taxi cab after the game. But when they uh-huh. were on the floor they were you know, they won two championships because when they were on the floor they played well and they won. But don't you think this goes back to the ninety nine team and the Pollyanna view that we had Of that team. And it was probably self driven to some extent, but I always refer back to the I will have two fillings ad that they did (laughs) after the World Cup. And for anyone who doesn't know about it, there were a bunch of national team players in the dentist office. And somebody came out and they said, What happened? And she said, I need two fillings. And then like four other players stood up and said, Then I will have two fillings. It was like a show of solidarity. And I have no doubt about how tight that team was and in a lot of cases still is. But I also have no doubt that not everybody got along every day and not everybody had the same political views and not everybody had the same views about a lot of different things. But don't you think that the way we viewed that team still resonates today in women's soccer? Because like almost like we're chasing that, perf- that you know, perfect teammate sort of thing. And it just doesn't exist.
0: Right. I You know, I, th- I think, you know, that message was so important then right to sell that event but that that concept has lingered and especially you know it it seemed to take so long for women's team sports to be accepted in a way that we saw advancement in women's individual sports much mm-hmm. sooner right and i remember when the wsa was first starting and that they were trying to sell the concept of you know like yeah these players are going to play against each other like Like that's sports, you know, but it just like it
1: was a big to do.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we, we still have fans. We know there are fans out there that watch the national team that don't watch the league or watch the national team are unaware, you know, of the league or, you know, or come to say, come to a dash game wearing a national team Jersey for, uh, you know, let's say midge purse when she's, when, when Gotham's visiting, right. That, that, That their motivation is in the club, you know, and and that's fine. But yeah, there, there's like, we're still on that evolving path of, yeah, there's team sports and teammates change and, you know, but the whole concept of team sports is that, you know, the cliche, there's no I in team. You set that stuff aside, you go out on the field and you do what you need to do on the field. And, you know, you're never all going to be best friends, um, off, off the field, it's just it's it's not practical. But clearly, the more successful teams, and I, I think this is one of the biggest things I learned watching the Dynamo from behind the scenes, you know, in in their early years, is the most successful teams tend to be the one that manage those off field things the best.
2: Yep, because there and are by going to be. Well, I mean,
0: like long term su- successful, you know. So clearly whatever they were doing internally in that North Carolina locker room, uh, you know, who knows, was it Abby Erceg's leadership or how they? But, but it's like, they all, you know, they, they, they worked it out, you know, now, obviously when Jaylene Hinkle drew the line in the sand in 2017 and said, you know, I'm not even going to wear a, a Jersey with rainbow on it. I, I think she sent, she sent such a strong message that it's like, this is more important to me than the national team. And, once you've set that that message, um, then you know. Then I think the national team has every right to go. All right. Well, we only want people who think the national team is more important.
1: Well, and I see. I actually do believe that Jaylene Daniels now should not ever get called back into national team camp, or certainly not without some sort of conversation. But not because I don't agree with her beliefs, but because, like you said, she took something outside and decided that that was more important than being called into the national team, right? Like Crystal Dunn's not going to be in January camp because she's pregnant. Like that's completely understandable. And, you know, when she's done with that, if she wants to get back in, she'll get back in. But if you're not going in the national team camp because of flack over what the jerseys look like, now you're, you're basically sending a message saying that I've got all these other things going on that are more important. So you never know when it might be, more important for me to walk away from the national team. So that's the grounds that I don't think she should ever be involved back in with the national team again. But I, you know, it didn't affect her club team that I'm aware of. And, uh, you know, look, I hope that whatever goes down, because I know the uh, the supporters group there are planning some protests and possibly some financial protests um, about her being involved in the team. Uh, I hope it ends smoothly for all involved because, uh, you know, she should be able to, play soccer if she wants to, which she obviously does. And if she's good enough, which when last we saw her, she obviously was.
0: Yeah. Well, let's move on to some more current news because we've definitely been rehashing some old news, but, uh, sounds like we're finally getting a Kansas city current coach.
1: Yeah. This will be known by the time this podcast drops broken by equalizer soccer. Shameless plug there. Uh, (laughs) Matt, Matt Potter, who, um, was the U-23 coach the last two years for whatever that was worth? <laughs> what we did with the U-23s the last two years, uh, he was a scout at the 2019 World Cup and in the lead up to that, formerly coached at Oklahoma and Washington State. And uh, he, yeah, he takes over and uh, seems. Uh, I got to speak to him the day before the announcement, and he seems very excited about it. And as we know, they're putting together a pretty a team over there. And one of the things that I like about the current, they've got Hugh Williams, as far as I know, is sticking around as the director of Soccer Ops. They just hired Cammy Levin to be the general manager. So they actually are going to have people with defined roles within the organization. Uh, the ownership trio all seem to be um, fairly, um, you know, heavily involved. Um, so I think that that's an organization that appears to be heading. Uh, in the right or maybe more so than appears i mean they're building a stadium and a training ground and that, that didn't help the atlanta beat in the uh wps necessarily but uh, they're headed in the headed in the right direction there in kansas city and yeah matt well Potter, kansas city is right doing
0: there. all the other things right just not you know beyond the stadium of like hiring talented qualified people in all these different roles i love the hiring of of Cam 11. um you know a, a name from nwsl we haven't seen in a few years, right? Because she's been working in private industry. You look at her bio and it's like, wow, she's actually qualified for this. She's been working, you know, as a, as a player rep in the soccer business, right? Like I, I love seeing a player come back into the league in a new role like that. And we're finally in a position, the league having been around long enough and players having player experience and then real world work experience, be in a position to take jobs like that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's
0: that's wonderful.
1: And and who knew that she was even doing that? Right. Um, But what I find interesting in this, you know, with all due respect to Cammy Levin, who played in the league, she's like not a big enough name as a player so that you know that hiring her as a general manager was probably more legitimate than... You know, sometimes when you get a yes. big name come in and you're like, well, you know... It was, it was not, a, it was not a celebrity
0: hire. It was right, a qualified exactly. former player hire. Right?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Very excited to see that. Um, Potter, of course, an English guy. We'll try not to hold that against him. Um, but I really do love that he was an opponent scout for the 2019 Women's World Cup. Also coached in college. Um, also coached in youth soccer. So he's got um, all the various levels of American women's soccer in his background.
1: Yeah, he certainly, you know, to use the cliche, checks all the boxes and we'll see what happens when he gets to work. Cause this is a big year for the, for this team. You know, I always find that expansion teams, the most important thing you can do in your first year as an expansion team is set a positive culture and I do think that Kansas City did that in its first year, but now it's a new coach coming in with some talented players. So you set that thing heading in the right direction and, uh, you know, that could be a train that's, that's hard to stop as it continues on the tracks.
0: Yeah, so I'm excited about what Kansas City doing. I'm, I'm excited that we're, we're getting a lot of player announcements from the team. Sometimes, um, you know, this time of year can be kind of, quiet even when we had you know the draft in January so it's kind of funny that you know for the first time in the history of the league it's January and the draft is already behind us uh, but we've got things going on right so we've got one more team uh, needing a coach that'll be Chicago I'm I'm assuming we would hear that announcement before preseason February 1st do we know I mean
1: you'd like to think so I believe we've seen I think the Colorado Rapids went into the regular season without a head coach one year. They had like, they were the team that didn't play week one and they officially (laughs) named, I think it was, it was master winning. And I think he had been like the interim Mm. preseason, but I don't think they named him officially until like after week one, which they didn't play. But you know, MLS teams also have, um, you know, kind of like full departments of soccer people. And I don't know that right. the have that. And, so, and yeah, larger,
0: it, it, yeah.
1: you would think a coach would be forthcoming with preseason starting in three weeks or so. So, uh, you know, one other thing I want to also say about 2022 and with, you know, with Kansas City, i making obvious enhancements to the roster. I can't remember a time where there, and since the first year where there's been, I don't think there's any team that you can firmly count on to be really, really good. Um, you know, Washington obviously brings back a lot of people,
2: yeah.
1: but I think the way their season went, I think it's hard to think with certainty that they're going to really be really, really good. You know, the Thorns have a lot of changes from last season, including the coach and no Crystal Dunn. So I really think that as exciting as the playoff race was this season, I think it could be just as, if not more exciting um, this year.
0: It's it's going to be a strange one. I mean, I, I feel like we're in such uncharted territory in terms of a league having lasted this long that I need to train myself how to maybe purge some team memories where it's like I have to stop looking at the North Carolina roster expecting that box midfield, right? The, that it's like a lot of these teams are doing heavy turnover, right? And that's natural in, in, in the history of any club. But it's it's so strange. Right, to see like what do you mean Lynn Williams isn't at North Carolina? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you don't want that all the time because I remember the twenty fifteen final, which was like the big Portland final when everybody was there and it was like, wow, people actually care about soccer, but it was the rematch, Kansas City and Seattle. And it was kinda cool because like the teams had started to develop their little cultures and like you had history to draw on about how they played and how they played each other and what they did in the previous games. So you do want teams to stay together to some extent, but yeah, it's, there's a, you know, with again, there's only one new coach. I mean, one coach returning from opening day last season, which is James Clarkson. They didn't even make the playoffs in Houston. So there's not a lot that you can rely on heading into opening day for this season. So, you know, it's kind of exciting, kind of poor. Also, did we discuss, have we discussed this, the challenge cup being first yet since I've been on, we,
0: no, uh, no, but, but let's 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 talk about that to finish it up.
1: I mean, look, we know why they did it last year because they had that gave them a runway to cancel games and not have it be regular season games if COVID became an issue. That was also right around the time where the vaccine started coming out, so most people were able to be vaccinated first time around right by a, right about opening day. So it made sense, okay? Why in the world is the Challenge Cup happening first? Now, I did hear one logical explanation, which is that there are some sponsor dollars tied in, and the sponsors wanted to make sure that it happened in a certain window and that the national team players were there for most of it, and the idea of doing it during FIFA breaks would get the national team players out for most of it. But, like, you've got L.A. and San Diego are coming into the league, and they are theoretically starting a rivalry – of Southern California teams, and they're not going to have a big opening because they're going to have these soft openings for the Challenge Cup. And, you know, unless we're all really wrong, they're going to be in the same group and play twice and then not out of the question for a team to play a third time in the finals of the Challenge Cup. So that would make it, I think, a kind of an anticlimactic opener for both teams or an anticlimactic first meeting between the teams in the regular season. And I think it is, I love the 22 games and the double round Robin home and home and all that. And hopefully that's a good pathway to slowly build the schedule as you add teams. And if you get to too many, then deal with it then. But I, I do not care for the challenge cup being played in its entirety and, and played first, no way, no how.
0: And I'm, I'm so torn on it. Cause like, I love that we're keeping the competition I, I think oh, I want the competition play. to yeah. stay. But I, I agree. It's like, I don't like it at the beginning because then I think we're always going to get some teams treating it as preseason. Um, I I had heard some people floating around the idea that they could play it in that July window, right? You 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 don't play the league games then. You play it in that July window where we're going to have, what, CONCACAF qualifying, African qualifying, Euro 2021, yeah. you know, like all of that. Like, like. You know, sure, you don't have the national teamers, but it's not like everybody's going to be gone, right? And you do it as one month-long tournament while those all those other tournaments are running. And, of course, they're all on kind of, almost all, obviously not CONCACAF, but, like, on different time zones, right? So, like, just make that tournament month, right? You know, maybe even do it in two locations or one location or something. But, yeah, it, it's, it seemed like it was a, well, we did it that way last year, we'll do it do this year. I I, yeah, I, I, I I don't know like it's it's that's never going to be an easy problem to solve just like I I was kind of surprised to see some of the comments from players over the last few months of we need to stop playing in so many fifa windows and I'm like the league generally doesn't play in fifa windows right they only use them for for reschedules which, right. which is and, normal but, but what, they, what they were what they were really trying to talk about was like hey the league shouldn't play through the olympics League shouldn't play through World Cup qualifying, right? Those summer FIFA windows are are unusual,
1: right? I don't get why, yeah, you know, and it's weirder, too because of COVID has kind of botched up the soccer calendar a little bit. Yeah. But I don't, well, I don't know why the Challenge Cup has to be played in its entirety all at once either. Like, why not? You know, why can't you have like a preliminary week and then right. knockout week and then a final or something? Right. Right or use that and to bring I, the game to other markets, too.
0: And I don't think anybody's um, on the league side has thought about it from the outside, right? That it was like, hey, they did it one way in 2020 because they had to, right? So they were already thinking of it as, here's a one-off event that's done, you know, all at once, right? So we do need to get to the point where it's like, hey, what if it was done like this? What if it was done like this? You know, like, as we've seen... US Open Cup evolve.
1: Right. You don't have to go too years, far right? to find the you know, the cup competitions that happen over the course of in some cases almost an entire week right. calendar year.
0: Right. Right.
1: You know, I think the first open cup in the MLS era was the week after MLS Cup. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken.
0: I do like that it gives us a big game of meaning, uh, you know, on CBS earlier in, in the season. But I, you know, I still think there's, there's angles that are more important than that, you know, down the line. And I really hope, really hope, here's one of my big wishes for 2022, that we get the regular season schedule much earlier than we did last year. Last year, it seemed like we got the Challenge Cup schedule, and then we got the regular season schedule maybe two weeks before the regular season started, right? As if the the challenge cup would distract us, right? But so many people travel for these games. Um, I, I, like, hey, w- you know, why can't that schedule be be put out there? At least, you know, at, at least maybe home openers and stuff like that. I mean, we know now that MLS has had its schedule out before Christmas for 2022. Um, so every possible blackout date is already known by right, these other than, other clubs. Than the rain, I guess. Yeah. No. Well, they would know theirs. Sounders in NFL. NFL would already have their schedule, wouldn't
1: they? No. The NFL does theirs, and a big surprise here, the NFL does a big TV special sometime around March, April. Now that doesn't mean they don't know most yeah. of what they are, and that doesn't even kick in until August. So, right. You know, they can have most of that done. Yeah. But I think. I mean, I honestly, I think the rain are going to be probably relegated to midweek a whole bunch
2: yeah when they when they get to that
1: because that, you know that could be a bit of a dicey dicey partnership with so many you know so many different teams playing in that you know yeah. spot
0: But bottom um, line like like again that that goes back to what we were saying about transactions and injury reports. it's information, it's information that fans want. fans have been asking about this for a couple of weeks. you know, I'm so, so glad that we got to unveil at least the schedule format during the expansion. Broadcasts, but it's like there should be a timeline for, hey, you know, we're going to reveal the the Challenge Cup schedule February 10th, or we're going to reveal regular season, you know, March 1st. It's something, right? So it's like build up, let us know, give us the information.
1: You know, one other reason, by the way, that it was okay to play the Challenge Cup first last year is that there hadn't been a 2020 season. So the teams were still kind of getting reacclimated. We were kind of getting reacclimated with the teams. We don't need that. Now, we I mean, I I've probably just made that up because we just talked about how, you know, so many teams have changed personnel and coaches and whatnot. But, you know, we're ready to go. Like We just had the final in November. we got these trades. Let's go. Let's have these games that count. Right, right, <laughs> Let's up, right off the bat. And I'm sure you can figure out a different way to get CBS in the mix. Maybe not, you know, I don't know the inner workings of the conversations, but this can't be the future. And I said it last year that it was okay last year, but it wouldn't be okay again, and I'm sticking with that. It's not okay this year to have the uh, Challenge Cup in its entirety beforehand. I want the open. Like if you're, if I'm telling you right now, hey, let's go to the first Angel City game. Are we going to the Challenge Cup opener, or are we going to the regular season opener? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and then what if they host the final? Then that's another big event there before they've even. At a home game,
0: So much, so much. Well, Dan, you and I could go on literally forever. So I'm going to nip this in the bud now because we, we've gone a little over an hour. But as always, so good to talk to you. And I'm anticipating you and I are going to be talking a lot more regularly in 2022 as I figure out how am I going to get off my butt and get this uh, podcast <laughs> out more regularly. Right. But thanks, as always, um, for all your insight and commentary. Anytime. Time for a little Gensplaining. This week's planner is going to talk about the schedule formats for the 2022 Challenge Cup, as well as the 2022 NWSL regular season and playoffs. So just like 2021 Challenge Cup will kick off uh, the action for NWSL, the tournament will start Saturday, March 19th. It's going to be a little bit different from last year because, of course, we have two more teams in. So instead of two groups of five, it's going to be three groups of four teams each. Now, I'm assuming they're going to do West. So, you know, L.A., San Diego, Portland, Seattle, Central, which would be Chicago, Kansas City, Houston, Louisville, and East, which would be Orlando, North Carolina, Gotham, and Washington. Of course, that's just an assumption. They could change that up, um, you know, so that maybe teams are uh, playing different opponents in the group stage. But anyway, for each group, they will face each opponent twice, once home, once away. So each team will have six games in the group stage, Uh, Makes for a little more fair, you know, for, for the standings. And then after the group stage is over the winner of each group, plus the best second place team will advance to the semifinals. And then of course the final, which will be on Saturday, May 7th. And that will be on CBS. So bigger, slightly longer, better even format for challenge cup, even though it's still a little awkward that it's beginning of the season, as you heard Dan and I discuss, um, but I do like that it's getting more and more balanced, similar to the NWSL regular season. So for the first time, you can say that it's a truly balanced <laughs> regular season. And in in soccer terms, that means you play each opponent the same number of times and the same number of times home and away. Um, sometimes... Uh, you might hear a schedule referred to as balance because they're just saying, all right, we're meeting all the opponents the same number of times. But if you're not adding in, well, it's the same home and away, it's not the true kind of traditional balanced, right? So here, this is matching the format of like Premier League or, or Liga MX, where you play everybody at home and you play everybody away. So that means that each team will have 11 home games and 11 away games And then when you add that to Challenge Cup, where they get two home games, sorry, three home games and three away games, that means everybody is guaranteed at least 14 home games. Uh, That's more than we've ever had in NWSL. So that's that's awesome. And, of course, the CBS... deal you know continues broadcast deal uh, also paramount plus and you know twitch for international so same old same old for how to watch the games um and we don't have a schedule yet of course uh but you know as soon as that comes out it'll be all over twitter and like i mentioned in my chat with dan i just really hope that we get the regular season schedule a lot earlier than we did last year because If you guys are like me, you like to plan ahead, plug that stuff into your calendar, see if you can make some road trips, you know, set up watch parties, that kind of stuff. time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, we have the U.S. national team roster for the first camp of 2022. They're going to have a 10-day camp in Austin, Texas, starting next week. Uh, we have, I think it's 26, 25, 26 players uh, called in for this camp. And as Vlako Nanoski has said many times before, this camp, you know, they had already intended this would be a very youth-focused camp. So there's a lot of veterans who were not called in and they knew they wouldn't be called in, you know, Becky Sauerbrunn, Julie Ertz, Alex Morgan, et cetera, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath. Uh, of course you've got, Casey Kruger and Crystal Dunn out on maternity leave. Uh, It's a great opportunity for a camp that does not have any um, matches associated with it uh, to give as much opportunity to the young players as possible. You also have uh, Alyssa Nair coming back into a real camp for the first time since her injury at the Olympics. You've got some younger players coming in who haven't been capped in a year you've got a, a lot of the young players coming back uh, who saw some time um, in the Australia matches uh, around Thanksgiving, so big camp for January. That roster, and you can check out the roster at ussoccer.com. That does not, um, the She Believes roster for February is not limited to those people. Obviously, we'll see a lot of the veteran names uh, come back in for the She Believes camp that will be a camp in February, and then it'll probably be cut down to a smaller roster going into She Believes. And that's my second bullet is She Believes is set for over a week in late February. I've added all the dates, matchups to the Keeper Notes Google calendar, if you want to look for that Keeper Notes Woso calendar. And the opponents, we're playing Iceland, Czech Republic, And New Zealand, New Zealand, of course, is one of the hosts of the 2023 Women's World Cup. Iceland and Czech Republic, neither has previously qualified for a Women's World Cup, but they're both doing well. They're both in the same UEFA group for qualifying. It looks like one of them uh, should qualify for 2023. So those games uh, will be two of them will be on ESPN. The weekend one will be on ABC. That marks the first time, get this, the first time since 1999 Women's World Cup that U.S. Women's National Team is on broadcast TV. Just tells you how used we've gotten to to Fox Sports 1 and ESPN 2 and streaming. All right. uh, You know, this is a good time also to remind people about all the the resources that I keep at KeeperNotes.com. If you go to KeeperNotes.com, click on Woosapedia.com. I'm always adding resources there that I know was so fans like I, I keep updated rosters of NWSL clubs. I've got all us national team call call-ups dating back to 2015. I've got the draft history, all kinds of stuff. Um, and also on that page, here's my last note is you, the link to purchase uh, the keeper notes, almanacs. Um, I've got, older almanacs i published for the first time last month an almanac just of all the nwsl championship games and i am busy editing the 2021 almanac that covers all seasons 2013 through 2021 you can pre-order that now um i am looking to ship those the week of february 7th um but Always enjoy putting it together and really enjoy the the feedback um, from people who buy the Almanac. All right. That's it for this episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Want to thank everyone for listening, tweeting about it, mentioning it on Reddit, sharing it with friends. And of course, thanks to Beautiful Game Network for hosting the podcast and to my producer, Sean, for putting this all together. But
2: now she's everybody's good. Let's